This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When we pick up the morning paper and scan the latest news of the day, how often do we read inspiring stories of faith and the practice of faith by unselfish men and women who have devoted their lives to God? Well, if you're like me, you really have to look for those stories if they're there at all. You're more likely to see stories or half-truths that distort the practice of religion, and it's very doubtful that you will see anything about the mystics of the faith. And yet, some of our greatest saints would certainly be numbered among the mystics, such as my own personal favorite, Padre Pio, a saint, Padre Pio, or to be more exact, Saint Pio of Pietrocina, where incidentally I've had the good fortune to visit three or four times. Maybe it would be well to give a quick definition of just what a mystic is. And believe me, I could go into a long discourse, but in a thumbnail sketch, I think I'd say that mysticism would be the pursuit or communion with or the insight between the individual person and the divine. It's a spiritual enlightenment that comes from the Latin illuminatio, illumination or enlightenment. So the spiritualism or mysticism within the church is nothing new. Well, that being said, I'd like to tell you the story of a beautiful young girl who was a mystic, at least beautiful in the sight of God, And the young girl was born in the mid-19th century, and I doubt if you'll read about her in today's paper. You see, she almost was, well, a never was. Her parents lived in a part of Palestine, and the family was blessed with 12 sons, but no daughter. And what's even more unfortunate is the fact that all 12 boys died in infancy. Well, that tragedy, plus the fact that there was no girl child, added to the distress of the mother. One could only imagine the loss that the father and mother endured. However, the couple were religious, and the mother had an inspiration. It was simple, and since they were people of faith, they would walk on a pilgrimage to Bethlehem and pray to the Virgin Mary that through her intercession they would be blessed with a baby girl. And then they would name her Miriam for Mary, and perhaps as a bonus they promised to make an offering of wax for the church equal to her weight when she was three years old probably as a bonus to ensure that she would live past infancy. Well, they did as they promised. The couple made their pilgrimage to Bethlehem and prayed at the Grotto of the Nativity. And the Mother of God heard their prayers for her intercession as the couple was blessed with a baby girl who was fittingly born on the eve of the Epiphany, and named Miriam in honor of the Virgin. Several years later, the couple had a son, whom they named Paul. But tragically, both parents died soon after his birth. Shortly before the father's death, he was concerned about Miriam's future because she was a girl, and girls weren't treated as equally as boys in those days. And so he prayed to St. Joseph. He prayed, Great Saint, here is my child. The Blessed Virgin is her mother. 
deign to look after her. Also, be her father. Well, Miriam's father died shortly after his intercessory prayer. An aunt took care of Paul, and Miriam went to live with an uncle. And even at an early age, she would always be aware of the loss of her parents. Now, her uncle really cared for her and provided a loving home for the little orphan with nice grounds dotted with fruit trees. And one of her treasures was a cage of small birds, which she loved. As a child, she would, well, she would play with the birds, and she thought it would be nice to give the little birds a bath. But as she did so, she accidentally drowned them. But you could only imagine the grief she suffered when she realized what she had done. But that was to be the beginning of her mystical gifts. Deep within her soul, she heard an interior message, very clearly, really clearly and plainly speaking, as someone standing beside her. The message said, This is how everything passes. If you give me your heart... I shall always remain with you. That was the beginning, and she was willing to give her heart as a thank you gift, but she would now be the recipient of many heaven-sent gifts that would follow her for the rest of her life. For example, one night she had a dream that a fisherman would sell her uncle a fish that was poisoned. Well, the next day, her uncle came home and had bought a fish, and she warned him that it was poison. Well, he scoffed at her, but she had so much faith in her dream that she offered to take the first bite as proof. Well, to prove her wrong, her uncle cut open the fish, and lo and behold, they found that the fish had swallowed a small poisonous snake and was, as she correctly predicted, a fish that was poisoned. Well, Marion had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother, as one might expect, since her own mother had placed and pleaded for her birth to the Heavenly Mother at Bethlehem. Young beyond her years, and in her own thoughts, Marion would consider herself a child of the Blessed Mother. And even at the age of just five, she would fast on certain days of the week, on her own. Fasting would not be her only gift. She would cut flowers from the hillside and take them as bouquets to place before the image of the Virgin in church. And for some reason, her flowers always seemed to have the most beautiful fragrance. These as continuing gifts from the heart of a five-year-old. These acts of devotion from such a young child certainly did not go unnoticed. A few years later, her uncle moved the entire family to Egypt. Perhaps this created another trauma for Miriam because she had become adjusted to her new home after the death of her parents, and now at the age of eight, she would be forced to move to a new home in the city of Alexandria. But rather than create a scene or exhibit any unpleasantness, the young child maintained her good disposition. Now, that was another time and place. The world was different, and their customs of the day seem radical to us in our time. 
but they were common then, and, and young girls were promised in marriage at the age, well, an age that would be unthinkable to us. And that became a horror to Miriam because at the age of just 13, she was promised in marriage to her aunt's brother who lived in Cairo. And this was without any permission or agreement from Miriam. She had nothing to say about it, and she had no desire for marriage. And, in fact, even at her young age, she had promised God to remain a virgin. When she was told of the engagement, she was horrified. Well, time passed, and the date of the wedding was at hand, and she found herself unable to sleep the night before the big day and became lost in prayer. And then she heard that voice again, telling her, Miriam, I am with you. Follow the inspiration I shall give you. I will help you. Well, in her heart of hearts, Miriam knew that this was a voice from heaven, and no, she would not marry. A promise is a promise, especially to God. Her uncle was enraged, embarrassed, and then hostile to Miriam, and she was relegated to that of one lower than a servant in the household. Well, the years would pass, and though she was horribly mistreated, she remained firm in her faith. One of the Muslim servants in the household learned of her problem and lent a sympathetic ear. He encouraged her to become a Muslim and forget this Christ of hers. He was also attempting to take advantage of her physically. She recognized that his true intentions were dishonorable and told him there was no way she would give up her Catholic faith. In anger, he slashed her throat and threw her body in one of the town's dark alleys, convinced that she was dead. Her throat was slit from side to side with the blade severing several tracheal arteries. But he didn't know the significance of the date. It was September the 8th, which was the feast of the birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And later, a nun would record an account of Marian's description of the miraculous events that would follow it appears that she was rescued by a nun with a blue habit who took little Miriam to a grotto and stitched up her throat. According to the nun's account of Marian's happening, Miriam was in a grotto where she saw a vision of her parents along with many angels, and she also saw the brilliant throne of the Holy Trinity. Miriam said there was no sun or lamps but Everything was bright. She thought she was under the care of the nun in blue for perhaps a month, and as the month was coming to a close, she was given directions as to her future and told that she would never see her family again and would become a religious in France, becoming a child of St. Joseph, and then later a daughter of St. Teresa. Her future would include the habit of Carmel in one place, followed by her profession in the faith somewhere else, and the last would be in Bethlehem, where she would die. Miriam would say that all of these predictions were made by the nun in blue who had taken care of her. 
Her throat was now healed, and as an interesting sidelight, one of the nuns at a convent where Miriam would one day live wrote that a famous doctor examined the damage to Miriam's throat and commented that from a natural and medical point of view, there was no possible way that Miriam should have survived. Well, after her time in the grotto with the nun in blue, the now 13-year-old Miriam was able to survive by working as a maid in a Christian household. Uncertain at fifteen as to her future, she headed for Jerusalem, and after she arrived there, she met a very handsome young man who showed her the Holy Sepulchre, and there they both took vows of perpetual virginity. Before separating, her new friend told Miriam of the very same stages that she would have in her life, exactly as she had been told in the grotto by the sister in blue. Miriam would not see the handsome young man again for ten years until they met again in India, close to the time of her taking her perpetual vows in Carmel. Then she had the realization that he was an angel sent by God to show her the way she was to travel. But before this, she traveled a bit from Jerusalem to several areas, surviving by working as a domestic. But again, she would be tested. She was suddenly struck blind and was sightless for 40 days, suffering what was described as a diabolical possession, staying in the house where she had worked until she prayed to the Blessed Mother, worried about the trouble she was creating. She would pray, If it would please you and your divine Son, give me back my sight. She felt as though she was being a burden, and it was as if God and his mother were giving her one more test, and she offered that prayer. Her sight, well, as she did it, her sight was immediately restored. Well, she was to wander a bit, perhaps, seeking in motion what was lost in space, and again found work as a domestic. But tragedy found her again. She fell from a terrace while hanging clothes on a line and was so severely injured her employers thought she was dead. When they discovered she was alive, they were convinced she couldn't survive. But a month later, she was still alive and prayed at a little shrine she had made to the Virgin and saw something that jarred her completely. It seemed to her that the Virgin was smiling at her, and as she smiled at her, the room was filled with the sweetest fragrance she had ever known. And she was given three words of advice to follow, obedience, charity, and confidence. Everyone in the household, including the Muslims in the neighborhood, considered this a miracle from the Virgin Mary. Miriam would continue to travel, seeking her destiny as God had planned. She had been in Lebanon and then gone to Marseille and France, and, and she was now 18, and as she received communion one morning, she became lost in an ecstasy that lasted for four days. When she recovered, she said that she had been through heaven, hell, and purgatory and was told to fast on bread and water for one year 
and wear simple clothes as an expiation for the sins of a modesty that offended God. And she obeyed the request. Later, on her way to church again, she noticed several times that she was being followed by a man and a child. Well, curious, she stopped and faced the man who said, I know that you want to enter the convent, and I will follow you until you do. Well, she knew in her heart that the man was St. Joseph. She attempted without success to enter several religious orders, but was not accepted. You see, surprisingly, she could neither read nor write, and she spoke only Arabic, which was naturally a major obstacle for her, but obstacles are overcome by heaven. Was that not St. Joseph who was prompting her? Well, it was obvious where she should go, to the sisters of St. Joseph. And, of course, she was accepted, because the community had several houses in Palestine and in the East. She was sometimes referred to as the Little Arab, and spent two years as a postulant as she attempted to learn French, as she, as she lived a life of extreme piety, and God was to give her a number of very special graces and charisms. Perhaps the most obvious happened when she was just 20 years of age. One of the nuns entered her dormitory and found her prostrate on the floor with her left hand covered in blood, and this was repeated from Wednesday evening to Friday morning. Very strange, but a few months later she was praying in the chapel. It was August of 1866, and at the tabernacle she saw Jesus wearing a crown of thorns with what she described as coals of wrath in his hands and heard him say to his mother, Oh, how my father is offended. Miriam replied, My God, please give me all these sufferings, but have mercy on sinners. And then coming out of her ecstasy, saw that her hands were now covered with blood, and she had a severe pain in her left side, which then commenced to bleed every Friday. The following year, she received the full stigmata, the bleeding wounds of Christ, and this would continue to the Feast of the Five Wounds. She also received as part of the stigmata the wounds of the crown of thorns on her forehead. A word of this was starting to circulate in the convent, and her superior ordered her to ask God to take away the visible signs of the stigmata. She was obedient, and God heard her prayers, and the visible stigmata vanished, but the pain remained. The novice mistress quickly recognized that she was dealing with a very special child of God and compiled a complete record of her life from childhood to that very day so that the facts would be accurate and not blurred by time. Great care was taken so as not to call attention to Miriam, as well as the special favor she was receiving from on high. However, the documents that were prepared for her were completed with careful accuracy. Miriam was reluctant to speak of the graces she had received, but did so 
only on the command of her superior, but in her humility she requested that these gifts would be treated with secrecy as long as she was alive. I believe the nuns there recognized something very special about Miriam, but with we humans there are always those dissenters, and such was the case there. Miriam did not receive the necessary votes for admission, but her superior wrote to the prioress of the monastery at Carmel at Pau that the ecclesiastical superiors where she now lived believed that a cloister would be the best place for her. She was accepted and became a lay Carmelite sister, taking the name of Sister Mary of Jesus Crucified. In 1870, she went with the founding group to establish the Carmel Monastery in Mangalore, India, where she also made her profession and returned to Pau two years later. We have to mention that Miriam was unfamiliar with Carmel or of St. Teresa, and she probably didn't fully understand the earlier words of St. Joseph when he told her that she would be a child of St. Joseph before becoming a daughter of St. Teresa. Well, the prophecy was now fulfilled. Her early ecstasies were undoubtedly preparing her for what was to come. And while she had previously experienced ecstasies, the best was yet to come, and she would often experience many ecstasies in a single day as her holiness increased even more. Sometimes in her ecstasies, her body would remain normal, while other times she would become so stiff that she could not be moved and her normal actions were changed. Her voice was always hoarse from the early slashing of her throat, but once in ecstasy, she sang with a perfectly clear and beautiful voice. When she was in ecstasy, she could not remember what had transpired unless her superior had ordered her to remember. She would only say of them, I am in God and God is in me. I feel that all creatures, the trees, the flowers, belong to God and also to me. I no longer have a will. It belongs to God and all that is God's is mine. She would say, pay attention to little things. Everything is great before the Lord. The Lord does not want robbery in the sacrifice. Offer and give him everything. In heaven, the most beautiful trees are those that have sinned the most. You know, of all the messages she has received, I personally think that message is one of the most important for all of us. The most beautiful trees are those that have sinned the most. That's the prodigal son. That possibly should be the motto for our time. Whatever we may have done, there is forgiveness for those who repent and change their ways. Well, God must have taken this poor waif of a child and wanted her to be recognized despite her humility. God wanted her to be noticed, so he paid attention, so he gave her another charism that we couldn't ignore. Like St. Joseph of Cupertino, she could fly. 
without wings. This unusual gift was first seen on the 22nd of June in 1873 in the Garden of Carmel. She was absent from supper, and some of the nuns went looking for her, and they heard a voice singing from on high. And looking up, there was Miriam, or now Sister Mary of Jesus crucified, standing on the top branches of a large tree in the orchard, and the branches were not bent. It was as if she were weightless. A superior said to her, If Jesus wishes it, come down without falling or hurting yourself. And she did. This would only be one of eight documented levitations. One of the other nuns had spied on her and described what she had seen. She wrote, and I quote, she was seated on a tiny limb at the top of the tree, just like a bird, without the limb even bending, and she came down like a bird, end of quote. But above all her gifts, the mistress of novices described her stigmata. She wrote, the stigmatist was truly on the cross. All her wounds reopened and the blood flowed from her head itself. Her legs were stiff, her feet down and crossed one over the other, her arms extended in the form of a cross. She was a victim soul for us. It's been written of Miriam, by the time she had returned to Palestine, her reputation had preceded her. She was known as an extraordinary mystic who suffered the stigmata had daily ecstatic experiences during which she often sang poetic verses and received many gifts of prophecy. However, little Mary of Jesus Crucified thought of herself as a nothing, a nobody, and desired only to suffer the pain of her intense love of God. Being a simple girl, she did not recognize the great gifts she had received and that they were renewed every Friday during Lent of 1868. The Carmelites then were admitted to see the miracle of her stigmata. On January the 5th in 1878, like Jesus, at the age of 33, she was called home to heaven. Her tomb is engraved here in the place of the Lord reposes Sister Mary of Jesus crucified, professed religious of the white veil, a soul of singular graces. She was conspicuous for her humility, her obedience, and her charity. Jesus, the sole love of her heart, called her to himself in the 33rd year of her age and the 12th year of her religious life at Bethlehem, on 26 August 1878. Miriam of Jesus Crucified was beatified by Pope John Paul II on the 13th of November 1983 and declared blessed. Perhaps her greatest gift to us was, a, was just a simple lesson, and that is never, never take God for granted. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.